Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we are joined today, tonight, this evening, by Dennis Callop. Hey! Callop. Uh, it rhymes Callop. with scallop, but it's been pronounced many ways in my life. How are you, Dennis? I'm great. I've got a glass of white wine that had some ice, because that's how I roll. I'm doing good. Nice. Uh, Daniel and I both have... Well, first of all, I think it's important to point out, point out that... We have let some of our audio integrity slide this time. <laughs> I don't want any uh, Facebook messages about it. Where uh, the air conditioner is on. Yeah. We normally turn it off because we know that you all are audiophiles. Yeah. Your pristine ears. Yes. But uh, the air conditioner is on. laced eardrums. I'm sure you're all typing in and saying, why is this weird Just pitch revolt. going and Just driving revolt. me crazy? Utter yep. and complete revolt. Um, I have perfect pitch. <laughs> and so, it's really bothering me. Yeah. Your air conditioning is a quarter tone flat, and it's just... <laughs> it's really grating. cacophonous Ooh. with all of your voices. You could just tune your air conditioning. <laughs> you really should every you know six what? months, we especially with the season change. You know what? We can't afford to tune our air conditioner, yeah. okay? Okay? Mm. I just... Yeah. It costs a lot of money to have a nice air conditioner because we just had them out and it was a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been a care. weird day. <laughs> there was a uh, an apartment in our building that was burglarized during the day. Yeah. I well, I don't. Do you know? I think that you are twisting the facts a little bit. So there I was had... a burglary in our building. I don't know. They did not say when. Daniel has turned it into. Well, here's that the... it was a mass conspiracy that happened right <laughs> around, under our noses. Let me say, you've gotten like, like a level henny penny. Like yeah. it was escalated a lot. Well, let me tell the genuine story. The the actual cut. I just had a jazz cigarette. <laughs> and, and so wow. we were expecting That's a friend to come over. Auspicious before. beginning. Yeah, and so we were expecting a friend to come over before. Um, we so also like... had not yet get turned in our rent check. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So there was the a knock on the thickens. door. Right. There was a knock on the door, and I'm like bounding up to the door, like, oh, it's Carlos. It's going to be great. What a great night. Open the door. Two stocky white dude cops. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh God. And yeah. they're like, there's been a burglar in your building. And I was like, do you think it was me? Like, <laughs> Immediately, you're just like, busted, busted, yeah, busted. Right, right. Well, no, because... Are you evicting me? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Um, they were not that terse. They were like, hi, just, we're here to let you know, like, there's been a burglary in the building. We're looking for uh, Jennifer. Laura. We're looking for Laura. Mm. You you don't seem to be Laura. <laughs> Do you, I'm wondering if you know of anyone. We have her stuff. I'm wondering if you know anyone named Laura, and he's like, oh, no, I don't know. Was, no, I don't. I have to no, go to my fainting couch. Leave yeah. me alone. There's been a burglary. <laughs> don't you understand? <laughs> yes, sir. We just told you that. <laughs> and then I go over, and I'm basically under the guise of what seems to be the problem here. <laughs> They're like, do you know Laura? And I'm like, no, we don't. Thank you so much. Have a good day. And close the door, and Daniel's like, literally shaking. I'm afraid of cops. I'm not going to Yeah, I, it's a healthy fear to have. Yeah. So anyway, that was that story. You were just at the jazz. You <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's 
It's yeah. pretty amazing. You survived a fire today. Yeah, we were at tech rehearsal at the Royal George Theater, which is right across the street from the Steppenwolf, if you don't know where it is, on Halstead. And we were in tech rehearsal, and you know tech rehearsals, you all know, is a pain in the ass. Yeah. And they were doing all the lights and the lights in our faces. And then I was like, I smell something burning, because you know I'm crazy and think I'm always having a stroke. Whenever yeah. I smell something that is not normal, I'm like, does everyone smell that? Or am I having a stroke right now? <laughs> so I always have to like <laughs> confirm with everyone, like, I smell, I smell toast. Is yeah. this it? Is my face gone? Yeah. So... I was like, I was like, because I'm like, am I drooping? I'm like, so like, literally, I've seen people in my family have had it, so that's why I'm like, my mom, my mom had a stroke, yeah, and so like, and I was like in the kitchen with her, and she was like, it's, she was like, Maureen, I need you to tell me right now, is is my speech weird or do I look weird? Yeah, and I was like, no, you look and sound sound fine. She's like, I think I'm having a stroke. I think I'm having a stroke. Yeah. So I totally, totally get it. Yeah, so yeah. I'm just like, I smell it. And they're like, no, we smell it. And then we saw some smoke, and we're like, oh, maybe one of the gels is burning or whatever. So then we go down to the house manager who's just sitting there. Because they also, uh, that's where they do Spamilton. That's, they do it at the oh. Royal George. So they were like, the <laughs> people in the lobby, and I, we just kind of, because we were doing the upstairs. Hey, um, can you send like the house manager up or the guy? Because we need to check some wires. We think something's burning. And they're like... No, no, the wires are probably fine, but the restaurant next door is on fire. So you guys might want to go. But just said it like that, like, hey, by the way. And I was like, I think that's You're something like, you should. Hot tip. Yeah, maybe like tell everyone in the building. So then we were like, oh, and we grabbed all of our stuff and went outside. And then it was like legit, like I said, Chicago fire out there. Like there were seven trucks and the police came and the battalion chief rolled up and put on his suit and stuff. And there was smoke everywhere. So it was crazy. They shut down the whole block because it's mm-hmm. near the L. You know, they don't mess with fires near the L. Right. So they, yeah. sh- they shut it all down. White people were upset because they thought the Steppenwolf was on fire. And they're like, oh, national treasure. What yeah. do we do? Like, you know, all of the white people going to the show <laughs> that night. I'm like, you're going to a show on a Tuesday. You clearly don't have any problems in your life. Right. <laughs> so you're just, you're totally enjoying it just to deal yeah. with it. But they were like standing outside like, oh, God. And, you know, they were all talking like. What's that thing you said once? I don't know if it was specifically in relationship to the Steppenwolf, but I feel like going to the Steppenwolf on a Tuesday is like masturbating at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday or something like that. Oh, that's peak privilege. Yeah, it's right. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Peak privilege is masturbating, yeah, 10 a.m. on a Wednesday. Yeah. But that's what they were like, pausing, but not really caring. Yeah. They're like, what's the smoke? Oh, the Steppenwolf is right there. It's okay. Yeah. It's on the other side. <laughs> no, like, what is that? Oh, the Steppenwolf is fine? I no longer care. <laughs> exactly. No, we're going to see her at the Steppenwolf. It's a very progressive show. Like, Great. They're burning down over there. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, no. Don't worry. It's just that those waitresses yeah, won't be able yeah. to afford They're rent. All, no, don't worry The ballets are, like, the, the cooks are running out. Everyone's screaming. No, Someone no, died. Don't worry. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Go enjoy. Go enjoy her. Yeah. Well, so um, the ep- this episode uh, is probably going to air two days from now, and I mention that because the world might not exist then, and so I feel like this fire and fury, Daniel. Yeah, fire the, and fury. <laughs> the release of this episode is definitely Schrodinger's episode, where <laughs> <laughs> it both exists and doesn't exist. So I just wanted to acknowledge at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I just I. I used to be like a total nerd and listen to NPR all the time. Like whenever I was in my car, I'm like, oh, Audie Cornish. Like I like my voice is so kind of husky female voice. So mm. like I always try to be like, oh, I'm Audie Cornish. You know, like I try to do that NPR voice. <laughs> yeah. And I just had to stop listening because I would yeah. get so upset like driving. I was legit afraid I was going to have an accident. They're like, today he tweeted. And I'm like, I bleh. like I just can't. I can't yeah. anymore. 
this is this is a different level thing. I'm like waiting for that Doomsday Clock to come out with a thing because like that was that's, I mean, I I don't know what's gonna happen. That's like a bad thing for him to have said. Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't know. I <laughs> I feel like it's akin to like you are being held hostage in a bank. And the, and the guys with the guns are like, nobody move. And then a guy gets up and he's like, I don't see why we're listening to these motherfuckers. Follow me to glory, bitches. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like it's total crazy. Yeah. Well, it's like, um, you know, remember when 9-11 just happened? And, oh, maybe not just happened. It was probably like four years after. And they were, a lot of people were talking about that threat level thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It was like yellow, orange, and then, orange, and then red, right? And, and everyone was, the jokes. Yeah. Threat level mauve. Yeah, threat level mauve. That's the one you had to be really <laughs> scared right. of. Because it's insidious, the mauve. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like there were a lot of jokes about it being ramped up. Like it was like, this is an or- orange, like the second highest threat. I feel like Donald Trump takes the threat level to heart. Where he's like, I if we're gonna be threat level red, I'm gonna like show you what threat level red is. Well, I think that he's. I mean, at his core, I think he's a bully. And yeah. His stra- bullies, you know, their strategy is to like shout you down. They'll shout you down until you shout back. And I think that's just his like his idea of diplomacy, his idea of how to run the government. He's just gonna shout you down, and it's just kind of it doesn't really work. Like yeah. <laughs> especially, you know, it, it can probably work for him a lot when he was you know, plundering all of his businesses and doing all the horrible things that he did, but it doesn't work when you're on the national stage. I don't think people really respond to it, at least, you know, in a way that will have any kind of good outcome. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, I mean, it's it's weird because, you know, I think about growing up back in the 80s, because I'm older than most of you, <laughs> um, it, it was, we were, everyone was freaked out all the time about nuclear war. All right. the time. Like, I mean, it was just like, oh, well, we're I mean, going to get bombed. War was still yeah, it was still, on. like, the Berlin Wall was still, I mean, everyone was like, it's going to happen, you know, all of the movies were like, we snuck across the Berlin Wall. We're in East Berlin, you know, I mean, it's so, it was really this whole, at any moment, the nuclear bombs could just fall down in movies, it was all over the place, and then that kind of stopped. Like, so that, like, after the 90s, that was just gone until... You know, 9-11, and then the the war on terror, and everyone was, you know, going to, we're going to bomb all of these countries, even though none of them had weapons of mass destruction, you know, but that whole thing. So it's just, it's weird to me how it's kind of almost coming full circle in a way. So here's my curiosity. During the 80s, everyone was, you know, you were around during that time, mm-hmm. and I'm treating you as though you were a relic. And yes. I'm so no, sorry but about that. But um, during the 80s, you You're know, a there's... fossil. Oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Thank God I moisturized, because uh, yeah. you never know. <laughs> so, during that time, everyone was afraid of nuclear war, um, and now people are afraid of nuclear war. I'm wondering, does the threat... Did the threat feel more real then or now? I think... It was, I was a child. Well, yeah. So, yeah, so that was, I mean, for me, it was just what everyone was telling me, so I was, but there was none of, there was no internet. You know, we just saw, we saw on the TV, so it was all of this, like, gloom and doom, so we didn't really have as much information, so it was kind of more, I think it was just more scared because we, we were more worried because we didn't know exactly what would happen and now it's like well this is like you can look up if a nuclear bomb hits here what is the radius of how far i mean like how far do you have to go to be safe and it's still horrifying but i think it's so it's 
and they all, you know, I think it was scarier then just because we didn't know as much. Like, we, we didn't have as much access to information. I think no one ever thought it would really happen because it was a mutually assured destruction. Like, everyone was like, oh, we'll all launch our bombs and it'll be over. But now there are crazy people. Like, I mean, Ronald Reagan was an asshole and he, was, he did a lot of horrible things, but I don't think he wanted to start... A nuclear war with people. I mean, I don't think that I that think was his Donald goal. Donald Trump wants to start a nuclear war. I think he does. I think, I mean, his whole, like, let's just watch Obamacare fail. Like, his whole idea is, like, just let it burn and we'll see what happens. And I, I, it's totally, like, nihilistic. I don't understand why he thinks that's the best way to do things. Like, let's let all these people die because we can. And then we'll sort it out because you'll yeah. all be mad. Like, it's just a really backwards way of trying to do things. But I agree with you. I, I think he would totally be starting a nuclear war if he could. I, yeah. I, He's almost like the personification of anarcho-capitalism. Of just, like, let's take everything down to the, to the like... But that's gonna mean fucking nuking... It's just, I don't believe we're at this point, you know? Well, I think it's funny that we're at this point now. That we got through all of the stuff that we already got through. That we got through all of the Cold War. We got through all of that mess and all of the the you know the terrorist stuff 9-11 all that stuff and we got through all of that and we've made it here and now it's like this egotistical douchebag is going to <laughs> get us all blown up yeah yeah do you watch the west wing i do i've been watching the well, west i did wing. but i mean I, yeah. I watch it on netflix sometimes when i need right. a, a pick me up so i've been watching it now for like two or three seasons and i'm starting to have opinions and um whoa <laughs> was there was there a jazz cigarette involved in watching the west wing because that'll give you lots of opinions yeah <laughs> well i so i think the thing that i'm finding with it i think there's it's fantastic writing i'm super into the show i'm gonna keep watching it really into it but i i, I think that the way the show frames foreign policy is really interesting and that it's always a threat like there's never i mean there they there's talks of diplomacy but you know, I just got. But at to the, the end point, of the day, it's it's Martin Sheen. Sheen bombing the shit out of people. It's Martin Sheen being like, or or Leo McGarry trying to convince Bartlett like the best way to do this is to bomb them. Yeah, like yeah. I, you know, I'm the guy that was in the military. So listen, listen, President Bartlett, we gotta bomb the shit out of them. <laughs> like, and the Bart's like, I'm an I'm an economist. <laughs> <laughs> I do the money. Yeah, and they never talk about the economy, and that's the th yeah. The economy's shit, and he's an economist. Yeah, the economy is anyway. So I'm up to the point now where I don't know if you remember this part, but the part where they had a new North Korean um, mm -hmm. defector pianist. pianist. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that was pre frequent, like pretty soon after the um, the his daughter Zoe getting kidnapped. The whole thing. By the Kamari. And so, um, that's kind of what's framing this opinion right now. In that it's, uh, I would say that that show is very left-leaning, like, in a lot of, like, at least it gets brought up, like, feminism is well, an issue. Well, socially, I think about. it's really socially left-leaning. Yeah, like, As far right. as, you know, programs and, you know, infrastructure and welfare and, you know, education, Absolutely. I think it's totally left. But when you're right, when it comes to foreign policy, it's just like, we're going to bomb the shit. They're total yeah. warlocks. We're going to bomb the shit out of everybody. So fucking hawkish. Yeah, and I almost, I, there's part of me that, I don't necessarily blame West Wing, but I kind of blame the movement that West Wing was part of for kind of the world we're living in now, where, like, foreign policy has been seen in that lens for so long. Like, I don't remember the last time when it wasn't. The well, matter of America having to be the... the Well, it's, you know, the whole... It, I think it all fundamentally comes down to 
the dichotomy that is now America. Like, right. I don't know where... Are you, I'm from Philadelphia. I'm from a city. Like, I grew up in a city. I'm from Milwaukee. But I went to school at Penn State, which is in the yeah. middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. So I've been to lots of places, and, like, I wept openly and almost threw myself in front of a bus when I saw that Pennsylvania went to Trump this year. Oh, like, I, yeah. It was, like, it broke my heart because even though it's usually kind of close because there's a huge conservative, really weird Republican base in everywhere that's not a city in Pennsylvania... There's still these major There's cities. still, like, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and, you know, Erie and Scranton to a lesser degree. But it's just, I don't think, I don't know what to do. Like, I, I, I'm not trying to be defeatist. I'm not trying to be, oh, I just, I literally don't know what to do because I'm, I'm seeing these people who live in these situations that are horrible. I right. mean, they're, they're just living in abject poverty and they're part, they, that's what they do and they they look at this and they're like we need to do something we need to make a change and they thought that there would be some sort of change even though i i knew that it wasn't going to be like i mean i knew that he was just talking a good game he really he's talking about elitist millionaires i mean he's born into all of that money he's never known want or anything like that but Mm -hmm. you know he appeals to these people that have these like kind of disenfranchised lives because they're just oh yes he's the american dream he's literally ebenezer scrooge yeah I feel like... He would cancel Christmas if he could. I'm really curious about your perspective on this, being someone... Because I feel like Pennsylvania, you get the extremes of of that, where you get the working class and you also get the... And I think they're they're more likely to be right next door to each other or something like that, let's say. Or at least, you know... I know it's, it's kind of similar to New York in that way, where there's a lot of areas that are decidedly rural and they make the point to be a rural era, area and you kind of have to be when you're that close to major cities um, but but so what I think is interesting about the Trump presidency and kind of the, the I feel like the Democrats have been able to keep the working class for so long and I almost think that Donald Trump was the thing that won the working class over um, and so I guess my curiosity for you is um do you th- why do you think that is, and do you think we'll ever see the left win the working class back? Well, I think part of it was, uh, I think part of it was just sexism. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, at the, I mean, really, I'm not trying to be like, Ugh. but really, I mean, it's really difficult for a lot of people, especially working class people, people who, you know, they just don't see women in power in the same way, especially people that live, like you said, in rural areas. They don't. It's a problem, and to have that woman also be intelligent, you know, very well-spoken, but also, in their minds, aloof and cold and all of these other things, you know, it's just, I think that was a real problem. Not to say that that makes it okay, but I think that was part of the problem. The other part of the problem is I think that they they think of the Democratic Party now as elitists, as these kind of upper-class kind of snobs who only want to be in cities, who only want to do these things. And even though Donald Trump lives in a gold-plated house in a skyscraper in New York City, he talks like he talks in a way that they understand or a way that relates to them that, that other people right. don't. So I think it's... I think that there's, a, like, two different kinds of people. Like, there's, you know, union workers and people who... I think still kind of identify with the Democratic Party on some level, and then there are just people that have lost their jobs who are working class and just trying to get by and kind of just trying to survive. Yeah, and I mean, like, there was... 
this the giant movement of breaking up the unions as much as possible in the in the last couple of decades. Yeah. Um, and I think that I, th- I think that that entire like celebrity apprentice following just never really went away. And that's the other thing. He's he's just such a huge television personality, and people you know worship the cult of. Right. Personality, and so they were just like, "Oh, he was on The Apprentice, or he did this, or remember right. when he was on this." And I mean, literally, I thought every time something else came out, knew about him, all of the horrible shit that came out, all of the things he said, all of the things that, like, this is it, this is it, everyone's gonna, this is it, everyone's done. And people were just, "Oh no, that's just, that's just Donald Trump. That's just how he is." And it, it was, it was literally soul crushing. I mean, yeah. I, I felt my soul being crushed the whole time. I, uh, <laughs> I think I still have PTSD about it. I did not sleep for a few days after the election. I was having a tough time. I mean, I don't know. I feel like the night that Donald Trump got elected is a night that everybody will remember where they were. Just as I think we'll all remember where we were when Barack Obama got elected. Absolutely. Yeah. Ugh. I was partying for one and in the fetal position crying on my couch for the other. Yeah. I'm sure you can figure out which was which. <laughs> with I, my cat, with my cat who's I, helping me. I was in a. I was part. I was like celebrating, really um, intensely in my college dorm, for one, and uh, crying in a bar, for the other one. Yeah, and it's you know it's I'm not. It is you know crying is, in a bar with Daniel and Marissa Abbas. <laughs> As it should be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, you know, I'm not this is what we have now and I'm, you know, I'm not here. I'm not trying to defect. I'm not it's leaving been America. Six months. But it's been 6 months and I'm still I'm still on edge. I'm not I've not really calmed down, to be honest. I I what I do want to say is and I feel like I haven't done this yet. Um congratulations to all of us that have made it this 6 months cuz this has been insane and it's I feel been like a crazy. Like, you know, I feel like it's been in the back of our all of our eyes, like, this feeling of, like, alright, we're living in this. And, um... But I think it's also galvanized us and brought us kind of closer together right. in some ways. I think it's crazy that the Cubs won the World Series and Donald Trump was elected president in the same fucking week. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? It's, it was kind of... Was that the huge, same week? Yeah, it was like a huge roller coaster. It was of, like Thursday to Tuesday. True. Man. Isn't that nuts? Anyway, <laughs> tell us about the event you have upcoming. Yeah, it's really exciting. So, you know, I love to go to any kind of audition that there is. So I saw this ad for an audition for a group called Colorbox Theater, which I had never really heard of before. And it was for a new production of an operatic farce, which, you know, sold me. I was like, operatic farce? Come on. Yeah. And um, I <laughs> My went, autobiography? Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> Dennis Callup, an operatic farce. An operatic farce. <laughs> and I, I just went to the audition, and, you know, there's, it's a four-person cast. It's really cute. It's called High Fidelity, which everyone is like, oh, my God, like the movie? No, it's not like the movie, but um, it's really cute. It's actually based in Chicago. It was written by Philip Seward. He's, the, he's a professor at Columbia College. And um, he wrote this piece, and it's really cute. It's about turn-of-the-century Chicago. It's, um, it's kind of, you know, it's very typical. The boys come in. There are two boys and two girls. Um, there's love triangles, love quadrangles. Everyone is kind of in love with everyone else, in love with the wrong person. 
and it's just it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of uh, quotes from different pieces um, you, if you definitely hear some Mozart in there some Puccini it's very it's it's actually there's some good earworms some good stuff so it's been a lot of fun and it's really interesting it's been a while since I've worked on something with such a small cast mm. like with just four people because the last thing I did was um, Johnny Johnson which I like to say that way, Johnny Johnson, yeah. with uh, Folks Operetta, and then before that was Candide with the now Music Theater Works, so, formerly Light Opera Works. So mm-hmm. you did the same performance track that Tierra Burge did. Tierra Burge! <laughs> yes, we were together. Where you were jumping from Candide directly into Johnny Johnson. We've actually had like a really sad moment in Johnny Johnson because we also did um, Gilbert and Sullivan show. Iolanthe? Or, we did, um, um, yeah. We did yeah. that at um, in Southside and Hyde Park, mm-hmm. right? And so we did that, and then we went right into Candide. So we were together for like six months of all the same shows, and then that was the last time we were together. Yeah. So I miss her because she's the sweetest. She's in Idaho right now. She's, I think yeah, so. She was. She went back to Pocatello. I think for she's a little in, while. I'm yeah. really afraid that she's gonna move back there. Is that real? Tierra, don't move back to Idaho. Tierra, don't, don't move do back that. to Idaho. Oh, Tierra, I know you're going to listen to this podcast. Yeah. First off, hello, Tierra. How Hi, are you Tierra, doing? we love you. It's really good to, to know that you're listening um, right in this Tierra, moment. don't move back to Idaho. Because I saw I saw her post something about, like, how cheap would it be to rent a space in Pocatello? And a, and a bunch of Idaho people were like, oh, you could do this place and this place? And I was like, is she going to move back to Idaho? <laughs> Yeah, don't I would, leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. She can't leave. She's Come a, over for she dinner. Just, she just got certified to be a Palm Squad teacher, and I have to and take her Palm Squad class, so she can't leave. And I she and leave. she's got a great boyfriend here. She won't leave. She won't leave. She it's won't all leave. it's all fake news. And fake news, Tierra. I she's on the front you. page of the Chicago Tribune. The I know those legs her. for days. Legs for days. Yeah. So that was a really. It's been a really intense summer. I had yeah. kind of like shows back to back to back, and I didn't really realize how back to back to back they were until they all kind of happened. And I was I'm not going to complain about having right. work, but I was also a little tired. I had that experience, and then I haven't performed for a year after that. And I'm I'm happy about it. I'm like the I've made a decision to, but like I remember I the first six months after it, I was like I'm purposefully not going to because it was like Giovanni Bohem other stuff console and it, yeah. I was just like oh my god like I am gonna sh- like cry if I have to emote in front of other people again that happened to me when I first moved here I've only lived here I've lived here for less than two years um actually it's like coming up on two years like this week yeah which is crazy um but yeah I landed here and like auditioned for everything and then it was just like Doing, 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 and then I just like hit a point where I was like, I need to stop. I need yeah. to be a person. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I, I don't speak for everyone, but I think a lot of us have severe FOMO about sort of stuff, and we're just like, we have to do everything. I need right. to do this show, and I need to do this show, and I'm going to do that. And sometimes you just can't because you're yeah. right. It's like emoting in front of people constantly is, uh, it's just draining. I mean, there's yeah. no other way to put it. I mean, it's it's just will drain you. How long have you been living in Chicago? This December, it's 27, will be my fourth, the beginning of my fourth full year. Okay. So I moved here at the end of 2013. Yeah, we met two years ago? Was it two years ago? Maybe it was three. No, I think we met, let me, let me take you back. It might so, be two. I think it was two. Because it was when we did 
Shadow stories and songs. Demisa Pedro. We did Azarzuela double bill together. Oh, that's where y'all met. That's where. And it was a long run too. It was like, wait, I'm gonna get close to the microphone because most Smith, I gotta tell you the real tea about that. So I met I met Daniel because of Joaquim. Luis, who also is a big a donor and fan of the show yes. and mm-hmm. good people. Hi, Joaquin. So, um, or Joachim Laos, as we like to yes. say. Joachim Laos. And uh, he was like, we're doing this thing and we need someone to do it. Because you were all singing in the other show. And I was in that with Melissa. Yeah. Hey, Melissa. If you're listening. And with Melissa. And um, so we were doing it. And I, was, I went up to Daniel and I was real salty. Let me tell you why. Daniel might not remember this, but I was like, I auditioned for Opera on Tap, and you guys said no. And I was real salty about it. And he's like, that can't be true. And I'm like, oh, it's true. It's true. And then I, <laughs> they were like, no, 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 that can't be right. And then I was in Opera on Tap, and it was all good. But it was real funny. It was real scandalous for a minute. I was like, is this for real, though? I don't remember. You, you actually auditioned. Where did you audition? I did. Well, you went there when I auditioned. There were other oh. people there when I auditioned. Who shall remain nameless? But I was a little salty. Dennis, I, that's why you got. Remember, like, how long did it take for me to make, be like, why is Dennis not enough? Yeah, that? it was. Like, it was like a, it was like a day. And a half. Like we did a show, the yeah. show together, and I was like, this is a mistake. This is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> what was, happened here? Yeah, like, it, it was. Hold on. But it was real funny because I was like, so what does this mean? Because then it was the show was sponsored by Main Street Opera and Opera on Tap, and I'm right. Like, so what is? Oh, Main Street. Oh, Main Street. So I'm like, so what is the deal here? Am I because I'd never really done anything with Main Street, so. Have but you, it was real funny because Dan, Dan, the look on Daniel's face is what like kind of made me fall in love with him. At first, he's like, "What? That can't be true. That can't be. That's a lie. That's true. Can't be true." And it was a really he was like, "What?" I was like, okay. This well, it didn't fun. make any sense. Okay, like, let's <laughs> take the, the your talent mm-hmm. aside. The, the the talent was the, the, like, the cherry on top of my incredulation. Um, the base level of it is that you're a, a tenor. Right. And so, like, I was, I was like, we just need him for the chorus at yeah, least. exactly. Like, base level. <laughs> yeah. Like, he can there are times we're not going to have a tenor, tenor in the chorus part. Like, why would you? Why would we? What? Yeah. But it was real funny. But that was that show was really awesome because it had shadow puppets. Yeah, we, got, we got to, to like do learn fun things. Stuff. I learned a new skill, which yep. is always exciting. Yeah, Melissa is amazing. She's Melissa Cigara. Cigara. She's super talented and super smart, and now mm-hmm. she's in. She's getting a master's degree in, in at Indiana, I think. Yeah, she's in Indiana. Yeah, but yeah, in like I, public policy or arts administration. I think. Arts administration. Yeah. I think. I was going to be like, public policy, that's yeah. a shift. But she's yeah. very... Very, um... I, re- I just remember her being so thorough as a producer. Oh my god, yeah. so she need for something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and because she'd set this it up for... We had a three-weekend run? Yeah. And it was like, we had a weekend in Pilsen. It mm-hmm. was three nights for three weekends. Um, yeah. And, and in that, Ravenswood? We did a weekend in Ravenswood. Right. And yeah. I was basically the point person for opera on tap production wise mm-hmm. and I just remember like that I've learned so much about production from that experience just having to learn it while Melissa did it flawlessly at me and me being like oh uh, I don't have any other help I have to be the person that is like your point person on everything that goes into producing a double bill opera yeah. performance because it wasn't like a concert we it was a fully staged with set like yeah it was a grassroots budget but we had like costumes. there was a lot yeah there was costumes it, like and there props. was shadow puppetry 
um, screens, screens, things that, that got ripped apart. <laughs> right, super titles for everything. I remember I, I like didn't get sleep for like three days straight, just like making sure super titles were correct. And, like, double checking Spanish translations with Melissa constantly. And, it, yeah, I mean, you know, you that's it's one of those things where you don't get it until you're, like, cutting your teeth yeah, in yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. But it was awesome. It was a really cool thing. And I got to meet Dennis. Yeah, I got yeah, to meet you. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. So I was half listening to that whole thing because I just saw a picture of my mom on Facebook, like, hanging out with, like, the popular moms in Wauwatosa, and we're just, like, really happy for her. <laughs> Is that a new thing? Does she normally not hang out with the popular moms? Well, there's, like, there's, like, one mom in particular that I know is, like, the white whale of Wauwatosa, Wisconsin moms, and I'm just, like, pumped that she's, like, Is she, like, the her. Regina George of moms? She's, like, the artsy, like, she was, like, a punk in the 80s mom. Oh, okay, mom. okay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, everyone wants to be your friend, but she's kind of mm, with she's, everybody. She's, she's like, like mm, I was a punk in the 80s. Yeah, I'm kind of your friend, but yeah. I do my own thing. Like, mm, I've been to Paris a lot. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just like really happy that she went to dinner. With so, I, would, I think I would watch the show Wabatosa Moms. <laughs> I would watch it. Wabatosa Housewives? Yeah, it would probably be housewives good. Housewives of Wabatosa. <laughs> the real Housewives of Wabatosa. Yeah. Um, it would be a lot of, um, like... It would be a lot of footage of, like, intense board meetings, like, of charitable organizations. I'm sure there'd be, like, a lot of lemon bars involved and baked goods. There would be a lot of seven-layer bars. Totally. Bars. Um, and I would want... That's a, that's a Minnesota thing. Yeah. Shut Have we your, made... Come on. You've mouth. seen Drop Dead Gorgeous, right? Absolutely, I've seen it. What an amazing movie. Just I've a, seen it just many a times. I had a... Amer- I can. <laughs> Uh, absolutely I love Drop Dead Gorgeous I had only so I'm from the Midwest and I had aka Sin Cities (laughs) I'm from the Midwest and I only saw it when I moved to Chicago and my roommate we were talking about it I was like oh yeah I've just I've never seen Drop Dead Gorgeous and he was like what and he was like cancel any plans you have tonight come over right now and he no I mean, he was my roommate, and so, like, he, he was like, sit on that couch, I'm making food, and you're watching this, and I was like, okay, I'm fine. <laughs> I didn't mean to offend your whole sensibility, but yeah, yeah no, it's, uh, I mean, it's... And we did, and it was great. I love that movie so much. I knew nothing about the Midwest before seeing that movie, and then I watched that movie, and then a year later moved to Chicago. <laughs> but I don't know that it was because of that movie, but yeah. I just, like, it framed so much for me. It's not very, I mean, granted, I'm not from Minnesota. I will make fun of Minnesotans being from Wisconsin. I mean, but there's so many, I mean, Kirsten Dunst. Mm-hmm. Oh, the talent in that I movie. I mean, it's just. Fucking, um, CJ Craig. Yeah. Elsa <gasps> Jan is in her. it. Yeah. Elsa yeah. oh Jan is in it. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't. Ellen Burstyn the mom, too? Like, someone really famous is her mom. I think like, when so, she yeah. puts the. And she's like, I got oh. them. I got them. Yeah, it's it's really. And what's her uh, one who just was Jenny in, Craig? No, Amy. What's her name? Amy Adams. Is that her name? Amy Adams. I think she Amy was, Adams. Is she the was movie. the the the, yeah. the the fish who was in love with her boyfriend. Reese Witherspoon is no. Who's no, the main it's character? Kirsten Dunst. Is oh, oh, yeah. Oh. It's just so. Oh my God! When that girl, when that when she comes up, and she's like, I think I misunderstood the assignment, and like. <laughs> 
the bottle of string wells off her head. I, I just can't. I, I lose yeah. it every time. It's totally I also classic. <laughs> Denise I also, Richards. Denise Richards. Is yeah, the, yeah the, that's right. The that's villain. Right. Yeah. I she, love how it like. Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley is the mom. Mm-hmm. I love when it kind of jumps the shark in the best way. When, because um, I feel like up until the point when the tractor explodes. It's like pretty standard, like oh mm-hmm. yeah, you're just rooting. For, this is like a pageant yeah. movie, and then it's a, all of a sudden a murder mystery, and you're like, oh. <laughs> but then it becomes like every like so many more, and then the swan catches on fire. Yeah, and there's more, and then and then they all get food poisoned. I mean, there's so many times when I'm like, this is totally ridiculous, but I'm right. totally there for it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, you won because everyone has food poisoning, and then she goes, and it's all shut down anyway. It's it's. I think it's. Totally the most American movie ever. Absolutely. <sighs> yeah. That's some exciting stuff. But it's, you know, it's not... All of those movies. That and Jawbreaker, which is another one of my favorite movies. The, I haven't seen Jawbreaker. The, the fun teen girl movies of the 90s. That oh. one stars Rose McGowan. And they, they kill someone. It's very, it's like kind of like Heather's Light. It's I haven't pretty, seen Heather's yeah. Light either. You haven't seen Heather's? Oh my god, Heather's is one of the greatest movies of all time. Oh wait, is that what Starring... the musical is based off of? Heather's? Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so Starring I, Winona Ryder. When I, when I first moved to Chicago, I lived with two people who met through the Bristol Renaissance Fair. One of them was the... She created all of the wigs that were used at Drury, Drury Lane. Lane. Oh, for yeah. Um, and my other roommate... He, like, his day job was that he worked in insurance, but he was the director of the Dance Macabre at the Bristol Renaissance Fair. And it's voted, like, the number one Dance Macabre of American Renaissance Yeah, for those that don't know what Macabre means, it's the Dance of the Dead. Dance of the Dead. And so it's, like, all of these, like, there are, like, tropes. There are, kind of like in Commedia, there are, like, these, like, trope characters that he... Of death, yeah. Of death, and, like, there's, there's, like... There's the staff bearer, there's, like, the child, there's, like, a... <sighs> yeah, like, I remember when we first started dating, there would be times where I'd stay over at your apartment when you were living with him, and he'd just be, like, boiling bones. For costume pieces. Yeah. yeah. And he, he had, like, like, a specific bones pot mm, that, like, he didn't, they didn't use for anything else. Upsetting. Yeah. Well, especially because Daniel's vegan. <laughs> Well, and Amber, so it, it was Greg who was the, and actually our friend Tyler, when we moved in together, took over my lease, and so now he lives with those people, and they're amazingly nice people, like, so, such nice people. Yeah. Um, so Amber, who's who makes the wigs, her dad is a butcher, and so Greg found that out and was like... So excited. Was like, can you, can your dad hook me up with bones? And she was like, uh, sure. And so he'll a match like, made in heaven. so he'll like go up to, um, like Southern Wisconsin where Amber's dad lives and just like go pick up like buckets of bones and then he'll like bleach them and like boil them. And that's a lot. And like sew them onto black, Costumes. like mesh. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking lot. Yeah. It just makes me think of people in horrible murder mysteries where they're like, I put the body in a bath of lie. I melted everything away, so it was just the bones. I'm like, oh. If anyone could commit the perfect murder, it would be my older, my old roommate, Greg. <laughs> Good to know. Do you, think, do you think that that's true? 
<laughs> I don't want to talk about Greg yeah, in that way, Mrs. I, Daniel. Yeah, I, I think that he'd be. I think that he would take that as a compliment. All right. Yeah. If that's, he'll use that for his press package. I'm gonna, I'm gonna text him tomorrow Special skills. and be like, on my podcast, I said that I think that you could commit the perfect murder, and he'll be like, oh my god, that's so cool. All right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. He's like 47 well, and like, just like this quirky like. Bristol Renaissance Fair guy. I've been to the Bristol Renaissance Fair. Have you? Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I had, I, had, I lived with a Renaissance Fair before yeah. I had to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess there was no option. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was it's cool. a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. I think it gets a bad rap sometimes, but it, it, I like, so, I'm a nerd, so I like those Such hard things, workers. But, yeah. Oh, my God. And it's gorgeous. It's like in this beautiful glen. It's amazing. It's it's totally worth going just to be the, in the space because it's gorgeous. You're right; it's gorgeous. It's outside. Mm-hmm. It's nice weather. You just feel like you could get lost with the fairies in the woods. Yeah. Well, and then there's like cool shit to do. Like you can like shoot arrows and like throw axes. Yeah, I was a big fan of the axe throwing. Yeah. I tried it out. Yeah. But. So I want to ask you, as another Chicagoan who's been here more than a, a few years, well, I mean four, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, what's your take on? the Chicago art scene like what how do, how do you what's your like general <laughs> feelings I think it's it's really I mean I've only really lived in two places I grew up in Philadelphia and then I lived in New York for a short while so I've only really lived in two other big cities besides Chicago and it was um I think when I moved here it was just starting to all of the things were starting to happen like I think all of the little Right. Companies were just kind of starting up, like when I auditioned for some things, and I actually moved here, and I lucked out because one of my friends from Philadelphia that I sang with knew someone that needed um, a tenor for their church job, so I kind of met a few people that way, and I met um, Natalie. Um, oh, Colada. Yeah, I met her there, and a couple other people, and uh, so then I started just meeting other people, and it was it was really surprisingly easy to network. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, like, easier yeah. than it was in the other two cities. Like, much easier than in Philadelphia or New York. So it was just, I mean, once I met someone, they knew this person. It seemed like everyone kind of knew each other in some way. And then I just started going to things. And I, I, I definitely sing more here than I did when I was in Philadelphia. Um, but it's... There's so many things going on. Like, there are just yeah. so many more things. I mean, there's definitely... I mean, it's a bigger city, so obviously there's going to be more going on than there was when I was in Philadelphia. But it's it's there's so much going on, and there's just so many good people, like, talented people who are doing things, but it's also... It can be overwhelming sometimes. I just really do feel like sometimes I'm just inundated with this, and then sometimes, like I said, I have to say, no, I can't do that, or no, like, you know, I'm doing something else. Right. And then I think sometimes people get upset or it can take things personally and I'm like it's not personal it's just I'm doing something else and you know I can't do that right now and you know I, I that's you know that's all there is to it it's not right. well it's hard I, I think the thing that it always boils down to for me with Chicago as an art scene um, is there's so much talent there's so much going on there's not enough funding yeah, and that's true too. And there are tons of ways, both left of the island, right of. I don't know why I always bring this into politics whenever it start, we start talking about economics. But I, I think that um, there are ways to make that happen. And like, if you're gonna choose to have your production cost seventy dollars a ticket, that's one way. If you're gonna find creative, like community-based ways to fund your projects, that's another way. Whatever. Um, 
but there there doesn't seem to there just seems to be so many so much talent and so many educated folks in Chicago and the first move always seems to be like you know what fuck it I'm gonna build my own thing and there's the resources to do that mm-hmm. and that's fantastic but I, I almost wonder sometimes if the the back end could be thought about more of like yeah. how do we really make some of these projects work or like how honestly i i think that oh i'm gonna answer that question just because i have an opinion um i think that the people in the production i think that being that we're in the midwest and part of being a performer in the midwest is that it, it it's kind of it, it's not uncommon for people to be multi-talented yeah and i think that if you're drafted into a production, it's not crazy to be asked to do something extra. And, like, for example, um, you know, I might be doing this project um, early, like, early next year, um, and it's going to call for horns to be made. And I was like, oh, from Greg, who can, like, craft bone-like things. I'm like, oh, well... I can figure out how to make this work and like offered my skills as opposed to like having to rent something which would make something less affordable because we'd have to recoup that cost. I'm like, oh, I can just do that because I'm going to be part of it. And I think that people involved in things should be more forthcoming offering services to help subsidize the costs of things so that companies can make it more affordable for people to attend. Because what we keep running into are these prohibitively expensive experiences that people are part of, and it's alienating their, their core audience. This, um, this sets up my next question really well, which is that, um, for me, we always kind of come back to this idea of um, uh, the fact of the matter is that Chicago is this beast where the audience members that you're going to get to your events are mostly people that are in your same social class. They're working class folks. There are people that can't afford to pay more than $15 a ticket in most cases. If your show is more than $15, I don't care if you're, like, one of my closest friends. I'm probably not going to be able to go. That's just the way that it is. Yeah. Like, I, like it's, I can't. I can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I'm choosing this time to make that PSA, but here we are. <laughs> um, so my question for you is, as another person who's kind of, you know, at least seen a couple seasons in Chicago now, um, I mean... What what do you think about the nature of that? The like working class people making art and affordability and like accessibility and yeah, it's really sometimes when I've I've done some shows and they've you know said well here are the ticket prices and I've straight up said none of my friends are going to come because they're they're not going to pay fifty dollars to come and right. see the show yeah and it's really but the but then they have this. They're always, literally, I don't think there's been one that hasn't said, like, well, here, well, here's the half price code, or here, here's this, um, which is great, but part of me is like, well, why are you even, you'd get so many more people if you just charge that price point and didn't charge all of this extra money, and I know they're charging it because they know some people will pay it, and they're getting all of this, but it's just, I, I don't understand, sometimes I think the economics of what they think is worth paying for or what they think and I don't think that it's not worth it but I think that they want to get as many people there as possible because I I think that's the goal all of us have when we do these sorts of things I think you should 
And I agree with you. I think that if people have skills or people have, I mean, I, you know, oftentimes, especially for smaller companies, you know, they'll say, can you do this? Can you sew? Do you have any experience with, Mm -hmm. and I'm always, you know, well, I'm, I feel comfortable doing this and I don't feel comfortable doing this and I'm more than happy to help, happy to help out. But I just, I don't understand the, I think sometimes needless markup. Of, of these things, oh, yeah. you know, that don't have to be, you know, it's almost like, well, we're charging this much because we're this company and we're the special. And I don't, I don't think prestige is because your ticket prices are more. You know, I right. think it's because you're doing a good show, right? With talented people, good production value, and you can charge. If you can charge, I think everyone should charge as least as they need to. I mean, you know, that's yeah. And I think that's part of it too. I think sometimes that's why it's hard to get people to come out to these things is because so many people in Chicago have production experience. And so they're able to recognize that a ticket price may be arbitrary. Yeah. Well, and also, so we had, um, she called herself a creative entrepreneur. Her name is Olivia Lilly. And we, we brought this, um, she, she has been the artistic and executive director of two different theater organizations in Chicago. And she has a lot of, like, monetizing of art experience. Yeah. Um, and we brought this issue up to her. And she was like, well, first off, anyone who thinks that ticket prices are going to um, fund, your shows. fund your shows, is it's that's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a fallacy. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, like, to hear, for that to be, like, right out of the gate, her first answer, for anyone who's like, well, we need ticket, we need those tickets, because otherwise we're not going to make a profit. It's like, if you are relying on ticket prices to make your show profitable or even break even, then you are spending too much on your show. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a... And that's what I mean, but I think on some level people need that. Like, almost need that, well, we sold this many tickets and we made this much money. And even if they didn't break even or even if they just broke even, for some reason it's a some yeah. sort of badge of honor that they need to be able to say. And I know some of it's for funding, you know, if they do get grants or if they do right. get, you know, they apply for things and it's like, look, this is how many people came and this is what we're doing. But yeah, it's it's a weird, because it's, you're right, it's a complete fallacy. There's no show that is being funded by its ticket sales. No. You know, not at that level. You know, that's just not happening. So the funding is coming from elsewhere, but I don't know if they need to show those people that this is what's happening with ticket sales or people are willing to pay this much for tickets or it's just a weird... Uh, you know, it's it's kind of hard. You know, like you said, it becomes this kind of like capitalist endgame. Like, who's who is the one that is who needs to see that? Does the fund? Do the people that are giving the money need to see that? Do the producers need to see that? You know, but it's 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 definitely an issue because I, I I think there are things that people really would go to and really want to see, but it is they can be cost prohibitive. I mean, yeah, and and we we brought this up with um we brought this up the other day where we were talking about Davenport's Piano Bar mm-hmm. and how their artist practices are a little predatory. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't really know. What, I mean, I honestly, I've I've seen a lot of people who've done things there, but I've never, right. I've either been doing something else myself, I've never been there to see one of right. the performances, so I yeah. don't really know. Am I planning on jumping up on a soapbox in front of Davenport's and talking about, no, not at all, because I, I have no idea of the nuances of it. Um, but there's something to be said about, I mean, I've seen ads in DIY Chicago and classical area singers group for, from Davenport's being like, do you have a cabaret show that you want to put on? Do you have a show, Mm. whatever you want to put on, please come and do that. 
but then they don't do anything in post like marketing wise they don't really do anything to like besides they have a they have an, a structure well plus they have a space for people to perform in so you audition and then for every show that you put on they charge you 75 dollars mm-hmm. to do it and then you get a percentage of whatever your ticket sales are but then for everyone who comes um, they rec- and the artist gets to set the ticket price. They recommend fourteen dollars, um, and this is all information coming from Emily Cox, who mm. has done a couple shows there. So the artist sets the ticket price. They recommend fourteen dollars, but then they also charge everyone who comes a two drink minimum, and drinks aren't cheap. No. So no. it's like. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. That makes me kind of mm. if they're especially if they're charging you to bring people to their establishment where they the thing. will it's charge a, them for drinks. Yeah. It's a complete uh, disregard for labor and the value of labor. Yeah, and we all know about that because, you know, we all have people mm-hmm. who constantly ask us to do things for free or <coughs> sing something. Sing something for me, Maureen. Sing right now. You're singing. You know, and that's exactly the face I make. I'm like, Isn't it what you love? Yeah, do it. Do it. You know, it's... I don't love this. <laughs> I don't love you yelling at me that way. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just a really, you know, it's... And I think that that's something that people learn, you know, in all different kinds of ways. I think it took me a while to learn that, you know, my time and my talent are valuable, and you have to kind of respect that, and other people, you know, come to it in different ways. I think most people... I think people get it faster now. I think people that are my age didn't get it as much as quickly as... We should have, but it's just a very, um, you know, you won't, you're not going to get anything if you don't ask for it, especially mm-hmm. if you're performing. You know, people will, I, I don't want to say take advantage of you, but people will let you perform if you want to perform and they won't, right. you know, compensate you or they won't because that's, that's, they enjoy it. You know, yeah. they're not going to say no to you, but you know, you have to, you know, have to have that agency to be able to say, no, this is what's happening. I'm a performer. This is how it has to be. But that's yeah, that's that's kind of shady. I don't know how I feel about that. I did not. I didn't know any of that before. You just told me that, but that to me, it, seems it, it little... always kind of like was a little bit of a red flag for me. Yeah, certain things, and I was always like, "That's." And then we've kind of done a little bit of a deep dive on it, and now I'm a little I'm, makes I'm gives pretty... me that like weird feeling in my like that well, crazy because, feeling. I mean, because we went to a show to support our friend mm-hmm. and didn't know about the drink minimum. Yeah, and we left the night having spent. Like, $60. I was going to say, if there's two of you and it's two drink minimum, you're probably spending 50, 60 bucks just on the drinks. Yeah. Plus the cover charge. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's just... And I mean, like, it was a wonderful show, and I'm so glad we went, and... Oh, Modi. What is she doing? She's kind of on my foot. She's just staring at your foot. she's, uh, She's got her front paws on my foot, and, like, I can't move. I won't move, don't worry, but she's just kind of in a zen place right now. I felt her kneading on my foot, and I was like, oh, that's cute. Well, we have a few minutes left. Uh, the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one-minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes it's very obvious, oh. like a show for which their rehearsal was just uh, ended early by a fire. <laughs> yes. Um, other times it can be uh, shout-outs to people that you think are doing dope work, locally yeah. or, or whatever, nationally. Um, or, you know, self-care <laughs> things. The Met. I just want to shout out I'm the I'm going Met. to shout out to... Anna Netrevka, <laughs> who just did Aida. My shout out is Justin Bieber. I don't know if you've heard of him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's this independent artist. Have you right. seen the craziness though with him now and his crazy like totally buff minister guy? What? I did see the buff minister right? guy. Right? I saw him. He canceled him. his... 
I, I see you. I see you. No, I. Uh, he canceled his. He his cut tour. his tour yeah. short so that he could spend more time with his minister. And his minister's like this, like thirty-year-old, like. No, he's like when I say like buff, it's it's like next level. Like I think his body percentage fat is like maybe point one percent. He's he's real ripped. Weird. I'm gonna. Th- I'll check that out. Yeah, check it out. It's just a weird story. Yeah. So, okay, let's see. Um, come and see High Fidelity at the Royal George Theater. Um, it starts, it opens next week, the 18th, and it runs through the first week of September, the first through the third. It'll be a lot of fun, and um, I'll give you the link. You can add the link for some, some good ticket prices. Come for love, love triangles, stay for restaurant fires. Exactly. <laughs> come for love quadrangles and stay for weird smoke inhalation. It'll be a lot of fun. Stay for wondering if you're having a stroke. Yeah. Are, are you having a stroke, or is it just weird lighting effects? Um, yeah, I think that's really the only thing I have on the horizon so far that's cemented. Um, big shout-outs. Go and see Thompson Street. That opens the week after. I think uh, they're doing Cosmic Ray mm-hmm. with all of our friends. Yeah. Well, there's so many... Um, Joshua Lewis Smith is mm-hmm. in it, mm-hmm. and I was really sad I couldn't be in it because I wanted to do a makeout scene with him in that opera. That was like my goal. Oh, is that what that role does? No, I just was going to put it in. Oh, I was just like, <laughs> we should have a makeout because I mean it's like such a broy thing. It's like nerds at the comet, you know. What I mean, and the, you know there are lots of gay nerds, and I was yeah. like, oh yeah, we should totally make out. You know, it's just my secret, you know... Gay nerds, you mean nerds with a silent G at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Nerds. 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 Nerds, yeah. <laughs> but that's, you know, that was my whole, like... And Coda's in it, and so many fun people are Matt in it. Matt Peckham, I Matt think Matt Peckham's in it. In it. Um, so that should like be a lot Catherine of fun. Catherine Bruton. Catherine, like, yeah. Um, so I'm excited to see that. After, the, whole, the whole crew. The, the whole, whole crew. The whole gang. The whole fan family. Big shout-outs to James Levine. He was at Ravinia tonight. They were doing... Some creation. Nice. I heard a little excerpt of that on the way over here because people nice. were live live streaming it from Ravinia. Yeah. So we need to, I've, I reached out to you at one point about recording some Bach. We should do that. We should. I love singing Bach. Yeah, it's the greatest. Yeah. Cool. Uh, opera on tap. Probably. Bach. I might be doing the opera on tap next one because it's the first one I've been available to do all summer. So I've made a point of time. making sure that love opera on tap as a as a com- concept and organization. I left opera on tap. Three months ago, I'm still not ready to go back. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was good, it was good to have probably. like a. I haven't been there all summer because I've been rehearsing and stuff. But yeah. it was a really busy summer. I would say, I'm ready for a little bit of a break. Yeah. Top ten busiest summers. It really was because I did the shows literally went the back to right back to back to back like the yeah. the I was finishing up Candide when Johnny Johnson started. They actually called me Mythical Dennis because I wasn't there for like the first three rehearsals. They're like, when will Mythical Dennis appear? <laughs> So I, but it was a lot of fun. That was a really good show. That was really, Gabe was amazing. You know, he was yeah. really good. And it was Gabe just, is amazing. Gabe is an amazing person, but it was just a really, like we cried a lot at the end of the show. Gabe was the first Chicago person I met, actually, because the summer before I moved here, he and I were in um, a summer program in Pittsburgh. And it was like, my plan was that as soon as I got as soon as Pittsburgh ended, I was going to drive back to Milwaukee, load all my shit into my car, because my lease started August 1st, and the program ended, like, August 3rd. Mm-hmm. So I was going to jump in the car, drive back to my mom's house, put all my shit in the car, drive back to Chicago, and, like, just start my life. But then my mattress 
delivery was delayed. And so I didn't move down until like August 14th. But I was like talking to Gabe the whole time about like, oh my God, like I'm moving to Chicago. It's this exciting thing. And He's a good first person to meet in Chicago. Absolutely. We went and got brunch at Ann Sather, like my first week living here. And you got cinnamon rolls. Duh, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah, Gabe is really, when I met Gabe, I was like kind of instantly fell in love because he's from New Jersey. So we have like total East Coast, you people are crazy here. Like, I, you know, we we still have like, why are Midwest people like this conversations a lot? Like, I don't understand it. No, so what, I um, wait. What I questions? That, what questions do you have about Midwest people? I don't really have questions about it. I don't understand the behavior sometimes because we're much. I think we just have a much more gruff way of going about life. Mm. Like the people talked to me a lot when I first came here, and it was a real big adjustment for me. Like on the elevator, I go to my building. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, how was your day? And I was like, why are you talking to me? You know, I have a really weird people at the checkout line. I dropped some groceries once, and someone lunched for them, and I kicked them away because <laughs> I, I was like. These heifers are trying to steal my groceries. He yeah. was like, man, I was just trying to help you. And I'm like, oh, the Midwest. Like, I would just say that to myself, like, you're in the Midwest now. You have to you have to get right. used to it. Uh, I have a funny uh, Daniel in my hometown story um, where we were at the grocery store and we were buying mangoes. And the lady at the checkout line was like, the lady who was, who was our checkout lady, she was like, oh, mangoes, huh? And I was like... Mm-hmm. She's like, well, you know, it, uh, have you ever been to Hawaii? I'm like, uh, no. She's like, oh, well, don't go. I was like, okay. And then it was like a silence. And ba- and then she was like, do you want to know why you should never go to Hawaii? And I'm like, you're, you're going to tell me, so yeah. just tell me. She's like. She did the like, she did the like, yeah. shh, 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 And then like the double take. Yeah, the like, look around. Right. And then she went. She was like, come here. <laughs> she's like. There are Japanese tourists everywhere. They just fill the streets. Japanese people everywhere. And I was like, all right, have a great day. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Here we are in my hometown. Low-key <laughs> low racism. Got it. Right. <laughs> like down the street from... Good Doggies. lord. Oh my gosh, dogs. They're having a moment outside. Yeah. Well, we should wrap up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. My name is Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. Uh... If you want to keep up with Oh my god. Uh, if you want to keep up with I wish I could too. describe to you the face that Daniel just made because it was pretty impressive. It was like, I, it was one of those ones where I was like, I've done this over a hundred times. Like, I can't genuinely be forgetting what the words are here, can I? But you totally did. Yeah. Um, if you want to keep up with what we're up to, there are so many ways that you can do that. You can head over to scopymag.com. That is our website. I'm working on a bunch of articles right now that are going to be going up. We're we're restructuring how we release articles. So I'm very excited about that. Keep posted. Um, And otherwise, you can keep with us on the old social media places. On Facebook, we're under Scopy Magazine. On Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr, Scopy Mag. S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we have been able to do up to this point has been through the generosity of our donors. So first of all, thank you so much. Uh, Second of all, we need a little bit more help. Um, So um, if you are able to give, please head to our website, scopymag.com. There are two ways that you can give. Um, You can be a one-time donor. Um, if that is the case, then we will send you a handwritten thank you note extolling your virtues, um, expressing our thanks with intense gravitas. So 
that will be exciting for you. Um, if you decide to give on a monthly basis, um, there are some cool incentives that we're doing. Right now, our next donor will receive, will get to choose between either a bag of half-wit coffee or a month of free yoga at B Yoga Andersonville. Oh. I know, right? That's a really good ones. I yeah. Thought you, I thought you were going to say jazz cigarettes. No. no. <laughs> That's illegal. <laughs> No, I don't. I mean, think, no, it's not. No, it's not. They're just <laughs> yeah. jazz cigarettes. Yeah. I don't think that. They're we just can, cigarettes and a trumpet. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that we can <laughs> offer jazz cigarettes as donation incentives. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's how you podcasts get shut down. <laughs> Pesky FCC. I know, yeah. right? Um, but um, so that's cool. Um, current donors, um, we love you and appreciate you. So if you head to our Facebook and guess Daniel's favorite coffee flavor note. Maureen's has already been guessed. It is cherry. Um, you will also receive a bag of Halfwood coffee. Um, and we're going to continue to be doing stuff like that for current donors and new monthly donors. So please consider doing that. So give a little, give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep. <laughs>